It's a beautiful day to recognize our mothers, and to, I don't, I can't think of any, of course there's only two genders out there, but I can't think of any other gender, so that excludes us uh, dudes, uh, that can do more with more, with less, and, and manage more at one time, and so again, we are eternally grateful for our mothers today, and uh, hopefully you can either remember your mother in, in an honorable way if she's uh, not with you or not, uh, not around, but uh, hopefully if, uh, if they're around, you can reach out to them and share uh, deep love and appreciation for them. Uh, they're, they're superheroes unto themselves, but let's talk about duos. Let's talk about combinations for a moment here, because I think God really wants us to live in community. We talk about that a lot around here. That's not what the message is about, but I just want to emphasize that. I think God makes the cosmos to operate in community. There's just certain things that go together, like peanut butter and, very good, chips and, that just goes together. You can't separate those out. There's a lot of things in life. Heroes go together. Batman and? All right. The Lone Ranger and? All right. That's all old school. Here's some more old school folks. Sonny and? Yes. Captain and Tenille. I took them off. Excuse me. Nobody knows who Captain Tenille was. Uh, or most people wouldn't. Laverne and? All right. Holmes and? Watson, some of y'all don't recognize that one. Uh, again, it's been made, remade so many different times. But so for, uh, for those maybe in the millennial generation, here you go. Timon and Pumbaa. Dom and see where our education or our entertainment is on the decline. White and <laughs> Pinkman. And maybe you haven't seen that. All right. Maybe you don't want to see that. I don't know. Uh, but these are just dynamic duos that make up our society that we look at today. I don't know if you've ever considered yourself a part of a dynamic duo, but you are a part. Now, again, your part to play is totally different than the other person's part to play in your life. And I'm not talking husband and wife here. I'm talking that there is a divine dynamic duo between you and God. And there's a part you play that his spirit doesn't play, okay? It can, obviously God can do anything, but he has chosen to put his spirit inside of you to make you more of what you could be. And we fulfill a part of God's divine plan. So that makes us a part of his divine duo that he could have given it to the angels and they wouldn't have mucked it up like we have. Um, he could have written, written on the skies. He could have put tattoos on all of our bodies, giving us all the message that we needed to do, the steps one, two, and three or whatever. He could have done all of that, but he didn't. He took mankind, broken and failed and, 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 and all of our brokenness of life, and he puts his spirit inside of us and creates a dynamic duo between us and God. And I, when I am fully alive in Christ and God in his person and the Holy Spirit is fully alive in me, it is a beautiful, dynamic, divine duo. You may realize, may not realize this, but this just elevates again the, the importance of this, that you literally may be the only Jesus that some people will ever see. You are the representation as it says in 1 Corinthians, you have been given the role of ambassador. You are the ambassador of reconciliation. 
that we literally have carried on ourselves the, the responsibility, the duty, the, the part to play in God's cosmos, cosmos world that he created, that he created us and he put us as a part of that divine dynamic duo. You, we need to understand that. Now, how does that happen? It happens because when we become followers of Christ and we're in this series and we're kicking it off a couple of weeks ago and we'll continue it right on. So if you're first time with us, jump in, okay? Uh, we talked about and building up to where we're going to go for the rest of the series. And that's basically when God's Spirit's a part of my life, when God moves into me, when I am baptized in the Spirit, and I know that that comes with lots of different connotations, and I'm not going to even get into the various denominational veins and directions of it. Hopefully, we'll just stay in, in, in the mainstream evangelical thought here. Uh, but when we understand that I am saturated, I am baptized, I am immersed, I am intoxicated with His Spirit, that there will be difference. There will be changes. There will be transformation is a word we like around here. There will be this ultimate divine change that's going to happen from the inside out. And how does this happen? It's, we call this manifestations. The Holy Spirit begins to manifest himself in us in multiple ways. Now, there's two of those ways that I want to just key in on real quickly. One is gifts, and the second is uh, fruit. Let's talk about gifts for just a moment. When God gives us, when God manifests himself us, when he puts his spirit inside of us, he gives us gifts. Gifts of the Holy Spirit give us purpose and others value. Us purpose and others value. For each one of these manifestations, there's going to be a me and a them. Now, sometimes if we make it all about a me, then we have totally jacked up the Holy Spirit and his manifestation in us. So it's not just me. It's me and them. It's us and them. So think about it like that. So he's given us gifts. These gifts are there for it to give us a purpose, a, a sense of direction, a sense of belonging, a sense of impact that literally I exist for a reason, that God leaves me on this earth for a reason, and he has gifted me for a purpose and a mission. Now, we say around here, it's been our motto since the day we launched Grace Point Church. It's a long time ago, 17 plus years ago. But we say every member is a minister and every ministry is meaningful. And we really, really, really value that statement. And we really, really, really try to hone in to make sure you're not just doing a bunch of busy work over here on the side. But everything ties back to life impact. How can this impact and help us become better at making more and better disciples. So God gives us these gifts. Let me give you a couple of verses. Romans chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. Anybody who'll tell you that membership is not in the Bible, take them to this verse. They are wrong. Country club membership's not in the Bible. Rotary club membership's not in the Bible. Book club membership is not in the Bible. Those metaphors or those, those uh, paradigms of membership are not in the Bible, but church membership is absolutely in the Bible. In Christ, we who are many are one body, and each member belongs to one another. So you, when you become a member of the body of the church, of the local church, then you become a valuable part of that body. We belong to one another. It's not just me for me, it's me for you, okay, and you for me. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. God has in all of his grace and all of his beauty and all of his planning 
has given you gifts that I don't have, and I have gifts that you don't have. But if when we bring all of our gifts to the table, like a body of Christ, the hand doesn't do what the foot does, and the, the big toe doesn't do what the, the pinky does, and the ear doesn't do what the eye does, but the mouth doesn't do, you get what I'm saying? Everything has its function. Everything comes together. And if any part of that body is missing, then it is an incomplete body. So membership, by far, is in the Bible. What part of the body of the members are you playing? Here's another verse, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each one has received a gift, sometimes there's multiple gifts, people believe, at least one gift we all have, use it to serve one another. Notice that we're members to be with one another, but we're also given gifts to serve one another. All right? So they go together. And you can see here, again, it gives you a purpose, but it also gives other people value to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Now, I don't have time to unpack all this because I could go back to the, to the parables of Jesus and the talents and some people buried their talents and some people multiplied their talents. But Jesus holds us accountable for what he gives us and how we use what he gives us. So let us just understand that a part of what God does when he takes up residence inside of us is he begins to manifest himself outside of us. And the only ways he manifests himself outside of us is when we begin to serve, when we can serve one another. And just so to give you the big picture around Grace Point, so we're talking about a local church, every week it takes 387 people to fill the ministry positions just to take care of all of the needs within the body. Within the body. Again, so just understand, this does not happen because you have a bunch of paid staff. It doesn't happen because we've got hired people to do all the... No, 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 no. It's never been our philosophy, and it's certainly not biblical. We all have been gifted to serve. We have all have a place to serve. Just to go a little bit deeper into this, this band that's up here, we see them up here for about 20 minutes a day, but you got to realize that they spend about five to six hours, each one of them, prior to Sunday morning, before they shared with us for 20 minutes, before they walked off the stage, and they're all doing it in a volunteer status. When you take five people and you take the people in the back running the technical, you take the worship over in the, in the children's building and you put them all together. You got 10 to 15 people over six, five to six hours. You have anywhere between 90 volunteer man hours in any given week. These people, I'm just telling you, are acting as members. It takes 70 student leader workers to come back on Wednesday night to love and lead our student ministry. Special needs ministry is one of those ministries that we have that a lot of churches don't even embark on because it can get messy and it can get difficult and it's not clean cut. And where you might have eight to one in a normal classroom, you have one to one in a special needs ministry. Ministries that we can all be a part of. And I love this. Let me just shout out to those 135 people who have more than one ministry position that some of them are were serving today and they'll be back on Wednesday night serving again. I say all that to say, where's your part in the ministry of the body? How are you exercising your gifts? If you just say, Mike, I don't even know where to go. Here it is. Go to yes. Just say yes. 
And the way you do go to yes is you go to the website and you put slash yes and go on there and you can fill it up and, and, and start saying, I want to explore where my yes can be used, where my gifts can be used, and it will start the process immediately. So that's, that is that. Uh, that is the, 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 the side of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit inside of us when he takes up residence. He gives us a purpose and it also adds value to other people. But here's the second thing, and we're going to spend the rest of the series on. I did not want, I would, be, I would be so wrong if I didn't mention that part. When you talk about the manifestation of the Spirit and not understanding our place in the ministry, I would have done this series in injustice. But the second one is where we're going to spend the rest of the series, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So there's the gift of the Holy Spirit or gifts. There's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Fruit gives us serenity and others a taste of God. It gives us serenity I have the fruits of the Spirit in me. The fruits of the Spirit come out of me. And therefore, other people experience God when they get around or get close to me. I like what Robert Clinton said in his classic work, A Making of a Leader. He said, the fruit of the Spirit is the mark of a mature Christian. The gifts of the Spirit are the mark of a leader being used of God. God wants the balance. That's why I couldn't leave one. I couldn't talk about one, all, only about the fruits of the Spirit and not talk about the gifts of the Spirit because they go hand in hand together. That your gift, this is just a life principle for you, your gifts may take you where your character can't keep you. You may have a gift and you may go so far with that gift, but if your character's not developing behind it, if the fruits aren't coming out of it, then your character may ultimately be your downfall. I mentioned it last week, that we can become our own limitation of the work of God in us. Let us be careful and mindful of that. You will recognize them, Jesus said, by their fruits. You will, Matthew 7, 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus, who he's talking about? He's talking about his disciples, those who are followers of him. You'll recognize them by their fruits. I think about fruits. I love the fact that God said fruits of the Spirit and not vegetables of the Spirit. Can you imagine walking in and us handing you a head of broccoli today? Or turnip greens or something like that. When you think about that, he called us fruits. He said the Spirit of God will be manifest inside of us. And nine different fruits does he mention in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to talk about two of them today. In fact, we're going to start pairing them up together like clusters of grapes or whatever fruit metaphor you want to keep going with. But we're going to pair them up. There's nine different. We can take nine messages and go through it or we're going to pair them together. So we're going to pair them together. And today we're going to talk about just two of the fruits of the Spirit. But when we understand that, then you can take out your little blueberries now. And throughout the message, you can just pop a blueberry in your mouth. Or you can down them all at one time. I don't care. But here's what I want you to do. As you taste it, I want you to reflect on it. What just happened inside your mouth when you ate a blueberry? And if you didn't get a blueberry, sorry, they're at the door. You can go back and get them right now. As you eat a blueberry, what happens? Things change in your mouth. They feel different. Sensations are different. Experience is different. There's an aftertaste, and hopefully it's a good aftertaste, if you unless you got a sour one. It's something that you will experience and others will experience, especially if you have the blueberry stuck on your tooth. They'll experience it that way. 
The point is, is that, that he calls his fruit, it's a pleasant experience. I call dessert, this is God's dessert, uh, because he actually made it before time. And again, it comes back to the whole taste thing. And you even go to Psalms 34, verse 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So this taste metaphor is something that God's going to use. But realize this, that people taste our God when they experience our lives. What kind of aftertaste do you leave? When, when people get close to you, do they experience a sweetness, a sensation, an aftertaste, something that lingers that's pleasant? Or do they walk out saying, thank God that person just left the room? Thank God I'm not married to that person. I don't want to be around that person anymore. You get what I'm saying? When you experience the spirit of God in your life, there should be a pleasant taste that lingers on. Because if we taste and see that God is good, then when others get around us, they should taste a bit of God as they get close to us. Because again, remember the only Jesus that some people will ever see will be the Jesus in us. Here's the fruits of the Spirit. We should all memorize this verse together. We'll read it every single week that we're together. Galatians chapter 5, 23 to 24. So let's read it out loud together with your blueberries in your mouth. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Two verses to memorize over the next four or five weeks. You can do it. I believe it. You can make sure you not only have it in your head, but also let's think about is love growing in me? Is joy growing in me? What kind of experience are people have the closer they get to me? Take your Bibles now and let's go to the gospel of John. John chapter 15. John 15 is where Jesus is having, uh, from John 14 to John 15, is when Jesus does more doctrinal download on who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit's going to do and all that kind of stuff than anywhere else in the Gospels. So if you don't have anywhere else to study over the next few weeks, start at John chapter 14, do 14, do 15, do 16, and you will get the Holy Spirit through the eyes of Jesus. All right? But we're going to jump right into the middle of it, and we're going to see and unpack a couple of these as we look at them closely. But let's, let's understand that this is one of the seven statements that Jesus makes about himself. And the Spirit and Jesus are intricately linked. You cannot talk about having the Holy Spirit and not believe in Jesus. And you can't believe in Jesus and be a, a born-again son of God without having exposure and relationship with the Spirit of God. Now, whatever that is and nurtured, that, that's another conversation. And that's what this whole conversation is about as we move forward. But let's look at the seventh of Jesus's seven I am statements. And some people focus just on what Jesus says here, but I want to speak on the promise that he is giving in this passage. So beginning in verse one, it says this, I am the true vine. That's the I am statement. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Circle that. Fruit. He takes away. And every bench that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
Don't let anybody ever tell you that God's not worried about numbers. He's worried about numbers in the sense that he is trying and he is desiring to see more and better disciples all the time. The growth metaphor, the multiplying mindset of God is incredible in this passage of Scripture alone. If you're not producing fruit, he wants to prune that. He's going to prune that. And even he's going to cut that limb off. And even if you are bearing fruit, he's going to prune you back from time to time so that you will even bear more fruit. So let us get into our mindset that we are about becoming better at more and better disciples in whatever we are doing. And hopefully, whenever we have more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, and on and on, we will be better disciples in that. And as a, as a pastor, I look at this at a macro level all the time. And I look at it at a micro level on a personal relationship. And there's 17 men I counted up that every week or every other week, we're in each other's lives. And what are we doing? We're doing fruit inspection. To some degree or another, there's a fruit inspection going on. How are you doing? How's your walk with God? How's your prayer life? How are you treating Lori? What's the last time you did something with no strings attached for Lori kind of conversations? So those are the kind of relationships that you need and I need in, our, in my life and in your life so that we will bear more fruit. That's becoming more and better disciples. Verse 5, let's skip down to that one. Because now he's going to introduce the key pivotal word in the entire chapter. I am the vine. He comes back and restates what he's already said. You are the branches. Whoever abides, that's the key word, in me and I in him. He is that who bears much fruit. Again, God has a growth mentality here. He has a, 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 an increasing mentality. Bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. This whole abiding thing, don't miss this. It's, a, he, it's the Greek word uh, minnow. It's used over a hundred times throughout the New Testament, but it's used 10 times in 10 verses in, in John chapter 15. It is the key word that you want to key in on. What is this concept of abiding? abiding, minnow. What does that mean? It means to remain. It means to stay connected. It means to belong. The very first time in the gospels that Jesus used the word or was used the word of him is in John chapter one, verse 35. John bore witness and I saw the spirit, the same spirit that dwells in us. Listen to this. I saw the spirit. This is at Jesus' baptism. Descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him, minnow. So the same description that speaks of Jesus in his baptism and his receiving the Holy Spirit and his being baptized, immersed, intoxicated with the Spirit, that same Spirit and that same word is used to describe our relationship with the Spirit today. So when you think back, to your time when you were born again, if you were born again. If you've never been born again, this is a conversation to have to start with. In that time, how has the Spirit lived with you, dwelt with you, dwelt in you? How has He abided and how have you abided in Him? 
Let's read the whole passage now in context, beginning at verse 4. And every time you see the word abide, circle it or highlight it in your Bible. Abide in me and I in you as, a, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Three times in one verse, the word minnow is used. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that who bears much fruit. For apart from me, we, uh, me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into a fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Notice the synergy. Notice the unity. Notice the, the, the agreement. When I'm abiding in Christ and Christ is abiding in me, when his spirit is in me and my, and my spirit is connecting with him, when there's this abide, abiding, this continuing, this ongoing 24-7 relationship, then there's, a, there's power in this. There's multiplication in this. There is great growth in this. By the Father is glorified in you. If you bear much fruit and so prove that to be my disciples, you prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you that you that, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let me talk real quickly about two effects of abiding in Christ. Two effects. Number one, there's this unadulterated love that comes from abiding in Christ. Unadulterated love. All love is not created equal. Have you noticed that? If you haven't noticed that, you probably haven't been in enough relationships. Just go out and have a relationship with somebody. Just enter into a conversation with somebody. People will love you, look into your eyes, and your heart will melt, and then they'll talk about loving pizza and beer in the same sentence. And, okay, is it the same? Well, in our minds, it's not the same, but it's the same word. So not all loves are created equal. And while some people will say love, I love you, is to get access to you, to get to make you more vulnerable because they know that that plays on you. And so, again, not all love is created equal. So I want to come back and I want to say this is unadulterated love. I want the unadulterated love in me. When he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit being love, he's not talking about the world's love or her love or his love or TV's love or Hollywood's kind of love or any other culture's kind of love. He's talking about the unadulterated, pure love. And that's when Jesus says, abide in my love. Not a love, not some kind of love. He said, abide in my love as if there's different kinds of love delineating between the two. You cannot come to this conversation on love and not just and skip over 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I don't have time to go into 1 Corinthians 13, but just to break it apart, just to, again, delineate between the love that's out there in this world that's very conditional and very whimsical to, to what does unadulterated love look like, feel like, act like. God's abiding love is an enduring love. Not this short-term kind of love. Love is patient. 
Paul said. Love endures all things. How many times have I heard people say, well, you know, we just, we just fell out of love. No, you fell out of infatuation. You didn't have love. If that's, what you, if that's all you had in the beginning, oh, you're, you're in trouble in the future. See, the unadulterated kind of love endures. And also notice this at the very last part, verse 13. He says, so now faith, hope, and love, love abide. That's the word minnow again. These three and the greatest of these is love. So even Paul is connecting that the love of God, the love that we have for one another, the love that I should have for my children, the love that I should have for you as my, as my family in Christ, the love that I should have for my one another brothers is the kind of love that doesn't quit, that doesn't give up. It's an enduring kind of love. God's abiding love is a self-sacrificing kind of love, not the self-seeking kind of love that this world offer, operates on. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5 again, love does not envy. That's very self-seeking envy. You have it, I want it. Or boasting, look what I've got, look what I've done. Social media can create a frenzy around that. It is not an arrogant or rude kind of love. Again, that's all a self-serving kind of love. It is not insistent. Now notice he's giving a lot of negatives because even in Corinth, a city that was completely adulterated in his kind of love forms, completely, I can't even go into it, he is having to correct, rewrite the script. He's having to adjust the paradigm in their minds because the kind of love that was in Corinth was a boastful, envy, self-seeking, rude, arrogant, what-can-you-give-me kind of love. That's not the kind of love that Christ offers. That's not the kind of love that Jesus models. And that's not the kind of love that the Holy Spirit blooms inside of us when He is at work inside of us. In fact, if you were to go on and read chapter 15 of John and you were to skip down just a few verses from where we read, verse 13, he says, there's greater love has no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friend. That is self-sacrificing kind of love. God's abiding love tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Not the world self-defined kind of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. The helper, the Holy Spirit, will come in John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit will come from the Father, will send in my name, and he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said. You want to get on the right track and you want to get on the truth kind of, kind of love? Go back to Jesus as the plumb line. And let that kind of love be the kind of love that you shared abroad in the love relationships of your life. And by the way, 1 Corinthians 13 is not just a romantic kind of love. He's actually talking to the church, the church that every time they got together, they fought. So he's talking to men and women who were not even married. And this is the kind of love of what love is. It's enduring, it's self-sacrificing, and it's truth-telling. That is the kind of love that we need to be about. It's the kind of love the Spirit wants to bloom inside of us. Life principle for you. Jot it down. The fruit of the Spirit are the qualities of life that God brings out of us 
when the Spirit of God is residing in us. You don't make it happen. You can't manipulate it to happen. You can't force it to happen. It happens when the Spirit is alive and well in you. Love, unadulterated. But it's also fulfilling joy. There's a fulfilling joy that comes in being in a relationship just as not all love is equal, not all joy is equal. What we call joy and happiness is sometimes just happenstance, that things that happen in our favor. But joy is something that can ride through the storms. Joy is not a feeling to achieve at all cost. It's not a feeling to achieve at all cost. It's a state of being granted by Christ at his cost. He gives us this state of being. He does a work inside of us that is forever, ever life-changing in us. Look down at verse 11. He says, These things have I spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There are things in life that will rob even believers of joy. That will rob us of our joy. Let us be ever mindful of them. When I live with hidden sin, that will rob me of joy. Be aware of that. When I live with hidden sin, if you think back to David's life, a man that was declared after God's own heart, a man that was said to be uh, um, one of the greatest kings to ever lead the nation of Israel. Yet even in his time of indiscretion, in his time of poor judgment, in his time of, of making a really bad, stupid blunder, listen to this, in that time he hid his sin for a year. Many, many, many people believe that between, uh, uh, between the, the time that David sins in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and Psalm 51 that there was at least a year that goes by. Because in Psalm 51 is whenever David finally breaks and confesses. And in there, there's an entire prayer of confession that I'm telling you today, I would encourage you today, if you've got something hidden and nobody else knows about, I encourage you to go to Psalm 32 and read what happened to David when he hid his sin. It says his bones wasted away. And then I want you to go to Psalm 51 and I want you to read his prayer of confession when he brought it out into the open and he brought it before God and he confessed it before God. And you're going to read in there one of the many statements that he cries out to God was, God, would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Hidden sin will be a robber of the joy of even believers. Number two is when I tell myself lies. When I tell myself lies, it will rob me even as a believer of life-giving joy that God wants me to have. When you think about great and awesome godly people in the, in the scriptures, you cannot list the top 10 and not mention Elijah. You cannot go to the Old Testament and not make him in the top five, okay? You'd have to go to Abraham, Moses, and then I'm going to put Elijah right there. In fact, many people, even in the New Testament, would look at Elijah as, are you the prophet Elijah come back? That's what they refer to Jesus. Some thought he was Elijah come back in the flesh because Elijah was one of only two people in the Old Testament who never died. 
He literally just was carried off into heaven. Beautiful story. You can read about, about Elijah all through the first Kings. You get back in the last part of first Kings, you'll find out that he is a man of prayer. He was a man faithful and obedient to God. He was a man that would stand alone in the midst of crowds. He was a man that was, uh, that even in James says that he was a man just like us, but he was a man of fervent, devoted prayer. And when he prayed, people were healed, brought back to life again. When he prayed, uh, droughts ended. When he prayed, fire came down from heaven. When he prayed, he saw God move in amazing ways. You can read about those in First Kings or Second Kings chapter or First Kings chapter seventeen and chapter eighteen. But when you go to First Kings chapter nineteen, you'll read about a different man who after seeing God move and answer prayer, after seeing God move and and, and confounding the the, the prophets of Baal, after seeing God do great and awesome and wonderful things, you know what happens in chapter 19? He gets underneath a tree and asks God to kill him. He enters into the dark den of depression. And he starts telling himself lies of his own darkness, his own aloneness, I've always said this, and I totally believe it. If Satan can't make you dirty, he'll make you depressed. He is going to try to kill your spirit. The spirit that lives in you is the spirit of Christ Jesus if you're a follower of Christ. Don't let Satan get the victory in that. Because one of the things that God wants to bloom inside of you is a love that this world has not even known or experienced by and large. But he also wants to well up inside of us a joy that will go through difficult times, great times, in the times that is sustainable. Now notice this verse 11. I skimmed over it real quickly. What does he say? He says, my joy may be in you. He wants his joy in us. And what else? That your joy may be full. He speaks of quantity and quality. Quality and quantity. A, lo- a joy that, it's my joy. It's, it's not just any kind of joy. It's a quality joy. It's not the joy you can buy in a bottle, buy in a pill, buy in a relationship that'll come and go with time. No, no, no. The joy that I want to give you is my joy. But not only my joy, but I want to fill you up with joy that's sustaining, that's never-ending that's full and overflowing. A joy that will get you through the hell on earth moments. That will get you through those seasons of life. That's the kind of joy that I want to give you. Corey Ten Boom is an incredible story of a Dutch lady who made watches back in the Netherlands, back in World War II, who her family took Jewish families and they hid them in her house until they were later on caught. And so not only the Jews that they caught him with, but also Corey Tim Boom and her, and, her, and her sister Betsy were taken to a concentration camp and put into this camp to live out their life. Ravenbrook Concentration Camp. And in that experience of living in the concentration camp as a non-Jew but a sympathizer to the Jewish race, she endured everything that every other Jew would have to deal with in a concentration camp. And 
15 days before she was released on a clerical error, I must put on, point out. She was released. 15 days prior to that, her sister Betsy dies. Never saw her parents again. Um, her, her only sibling passes away. She is released on a clerical error. Come to find out later on. Because it was a few days after that that every woman her age was taken to the gas chambers. So God had his hand favor on Corey Tinboom to get her out of a concentration camp by accident, save her, put her back into this world to be a voice to you and I about what joy is. Joy. Hold it. The person in a concentration camp doesn't have joy. This is what Corey said. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. Some of you got your eyes on the world right now and you're looking at it and you're saying, no way. I don't, uh, there's, no, there's no joy in this world. There's no joy in my week ahead, my month ahead, my year ahead, my job ahead, my marriage ahead. There's no joy in it. It is nothing but stress ahead. If you look within and that's all you have is a hollow, empty soul, you'll be depressed. If you look to Christ you will be at rest. I do not speak as some pie in the sky. I do not speak as one who never deals with depression, has never dealt with depression. I speak as one who wants the Spirit to so abide in me that the unadulterated love of God will flow from me, that the all-fulfilling, never-ending quality and quantity of love would flow into me and out of me into other people's lives. Do you know him today? Would you bow your heads with me? This is a time, please, please, please listen carefully. Not moving around. This is a time to listen to the Spirit of God. What is he saying What is he doing in you, around you right now? God may be talking to that person sitting right next to you. So give them this space. Make it sacred for them as much as it needs to be sacred for you. And respond however God would lead you. Maybe today is I need the Spirit of God. That Spirit of God that you speak of, Mike, I want him. I I want to know him. It comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he abides in you. Give yourself to him now, right where you're at. Say, Jesus, I want to give myself to you fully and completely right here, right now. And then you go after this gathering. You find somebody with a land. You you go to the prayer room. You find a pastor. You, You find me. I'll be out in the gallery. Say, Mike, I gave my life to Christ today, and I want to declare that. I want to know you. I want to pray with you. I want to rejoice with you. Do not keep that to yourself. But if you're a believer today and you've lost your joy, you're a believer today and you've been sucked into adulterated love, impure, broken love, ask that the Spirit of God would come alive in you. Father God, this is your time. It's your place. Would you do your work? in us. 
here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together as we worship?